Hey guys, Jeff here from BestTechie.com, and this is Techie Bytes episode 44. Today I'm speaking with Melanie Diesel, founder at StoryFuel, and also an international keynote speaker who was recognized as one of the world's leading experts in native advertising and branded content. We discuss the biggest myths about content marketing, how to properly brainstorm your content, as well as how to distribute it effectively. Enjoy. This podcast is supported by Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your own professional website. Choose a template you love or start from scratch, drag and drop to customize anything, and use advanced design features like video backgrounds and image galleries. You can even add professional business solutions like an online store, booking system, or blog. I've personally tested and reviewed Wix on Best Techie and can say without a doubt that Wix is extremely easy to use and a great choice for both novice and advanced users. So go ahead, try it yourself. Go to Wix.com and create your own website today. That's Wix, W-I-X.com. I'm here with Melanie Diesel, the founder of StoryFuel. Uh, she's also an international keynote speaker and has been recognized as one of the world's leading experts on native advertising and branded content. And we've actually known each other for quite some time. Uh, Melanie, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast to talk all about branded content, native advertising, content marketing, you name it. There's a lot of stuff that I know you're really knowledgeable about, and I'm excited to have you. So thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for letting me come share my story. Yeah, exactly. Story. It's all. It's all <laughs> that's what I feel like. That's what I feel like. You know, branded and uh, content and native advertising, content mark, all those things. Like that's what it's all about. It's all about the story, right? I mean, that, yeah, that's I, really. That's that's the core of it, right? That's what it all comes down to, and I think. You know, uh, it's easy for me as a former journalist to get really nostalgic and wax poetic about the power of stories and the way we communicate. But I think we all kind of know it on some level that storytelling drives the way we communicate with other people. It drives, you know, the kind of media we're into. You know, you want uh, you want music with a good story. You want movies with a good story. Like we're just attracted to, to really compelling stories. And so it shouldn't be much of a surprise that the, the best uh, content marketing, the best ads out there have, have stories at their core as well right and, and that really applies I feel like to a lot of levels of business too right where not you know I mean in a way advertising in general but also marketing it's all about you know it's, you always hear people say what how you know what is the narrative like right, right? And, and in a way that's just like saying you know what's the story mm-hmm. yeah same things the words get swapped around narrative and story <laughs> all the time um, but yeah, it's the same thing, and, and a lot of it, you can apply it to other areas too. So you think about your branding as a whole, right? What's the, sort of the story you tell about yourself, even as an individual? You know, you could break it down to its simplest parts. Like you're going on a first date with someone, how are you going to brand and tell your story to leave a, a specific and intentional impression with that person? So Very you know, yeah. it, it's it's everything we do is storytelling in some way. I, I I think, and I think that leads us to a good point where it's like. I want to ask, so kind of give us an idea of, I'd like to start this with everyone, but who, you know, what you're doing currently, who you are, give us your story, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I mean, not not that we haven't already used this word a thousand times at this point, but uh, I always say that I'm a storyteller at heart. So I studied journalism. That's you know my passion was 
getting permission to go out and, and listen to other people's stories and then repackage that and share it with other people. Um, so that at the, at the most basic core, that's always what I've loved. Um, you know, I was really into English and literature and I, I love getting lost in a good story. Um, I tend to be drawn more to realistic stories, which is I think why I'm not, you know, sort of a, a fiction writer or, or a film person, you know, going into fantasy, but um, I love sort of understanding things. I'm a very curious person. So uh, that's sort of what drove me to, to take my background and my experience as, as a journalist and kind of figure out how do we apply that in an era where there are fewer journalism jobs than ever before. And at the same time, it's becoming increasingly difficult for marketers and advertisers to really connect with people, right? It's, it's a very noisy content world that we all live in as consumers even. So how do we sort of marry those two things and that's where I found myself in this world of, of content marketing, brand content, native advertising. You know, it's many names and forms. Um, just being able to kind of take that experience as a journalist. And I say now that at StoryFuel, we focus primarily on, on education. So I say that I'm teaching marketers how to think more like journalists so that they can tell better stories. And my mission is just to help people understand the power that authentic storytelling, that thinking like a journalist, that finding good sources and, and really digging deeper to find the story at another level, what a difference that can make in the way you communicate with your customers, your potential customers, and, and even internally at your company. Um, so that's what I'm super passionate about in, in all of its forms, you know, through workshops, through speaking, through consulting, uh, and through having conversations like this. <laughs> I mean, I I think that's I think that's so powerful. And I think like, one of the things that, that you mentioned that I wanted to kind of highlight, um, it's, it's on a completely separate topic almost, but it, it's it's that journalism jobs today are not what they once were. I'm curious if you think that other journalists can make the transition kind of like you have. And like how, 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 does that tra- how would that transition look? Because obviously you've done it. Oh, yeah. And I, I actually I love talking about this because I think – it's one of the few instances where one industry is suffering while a complementary industry is actually growing. And it's been really cool for me. I've been honored, honestly, to be able to help some really talented journalists that were caught in very unfortunate layoffs and help them find a new home, You know, whether it's on a publisher's brand storytelling team or working internally at an agency or at a, at a brand itself, sort of in a brand newsroom, where they still get to use all those talents, right? Like they still get to go mining for stories. They still get to search hard for sources they still get to use their craft whether it's as a you know as a as a filmmaker as a photographer as a writer or an audio producer to still tell really compelling stories just admittedly with a few more editors, a few more stakeholders, you know? Um, so I think it's absolutely possible. Uh, it's definitely a different environment. So, you know, I don't I don't pretend when I'm talking with folks that it's going to be a completely seamless transition. There are certainly a lot of differences. I always say that, you know, journalism is telling objective stories, whereas content marketing is telling stories with an objective. You know, so you, you have a goal in mind. Your your boss, so to speak, is no longer the public as it is when you're a journalist, but it's, it's a, a brand or uh, an advertiser, a mission of some kind. And that can be a little bit of a different adjustment. Um, I think if you can see that you play an important role in telling better stories, you know, seeing myself as someone who can who can help make stories that are going to get told either way. If I can help make those stories better, that makes it feel easier for me to kind of sit on this side of the fence instead. And I found a lot of fellow former journalists, you know, who made that transition feel the same way that, you know, if, if there are, 
brands are going to be telling stories, I might as well help them tell better stories. So I think it, it can actually be really fun. I think what's also cool about it is you often have more time and more resources to work on these stories than you do when you're in a newsroom, you know, if you're working for a brand. You know, in a newsroom, sometimes you're pumping out multiple pieces of content a day and you don't have the time that you want to like build something big or, you know, pull in multimedia or let's, I wonder if we could tell it a different way. There's not always that amount of time. Whereas in a brand environment, in a marketing environment, you know, these things are being planned out pretty far in advance. You know, there's a lot of moving parts and that means that sometimes it moves a little slower, which often means more room for creativity, more time for things to develop. And sometimes that's actually an exciting change. So, you know, there's definitely uh, negative changes, negative, you know, things you will lose, like your, some elements of your, your, freedom uh, in terms of the way you can tell stories, but getting access to more resources, more time, uh, you know, and, and being able to tell those stories with, with sometimes better technology is, is actually pretty exciting for a lot of creators. So it's definitely different, but I think it's such a huge opportunity to make sure that your storytelling skills don't go to waste just because the publication where you were, you know, is, is experiencing some sort of downturn. And sometimes if you're working in a publisher content studio, you know, inside of a, a publisher telling brand stories, you can actually help reverse that kind of thing or contribute to keeping those lights on, making sure that, you know, those kinds of editorial stories still get told because you're helping to fund it from the other side by creating brand content. So uh, I think it's it's like a perfect marriage and I could talk about this all day. So you should probably <laughs> stop me. <laughs> no, no, I, I, look, I could tell you're super passionate about that as well. I, I, I know that wasn't actually one of the, you know, one of the things we had discussed kind of dis to discuss on this episode, but I feel like we could do a whole separate episode on that. Uh, <laughs> um, one of the things that I, that I, that I think um, people don't truly understand about content marketing or there's just a lot of misconceptions about it uh -huh. uh, and, and what is in your opinion what's one of the biggest myths about content marketing i i think there are quite a few but i think the one that bothers me the most maybe or gets to me the most or, or just doesn't make as much sense to me is this idea that brands are creating brand content in some way to deceive people that it's like this evil ploy to secretly create content, to secretly invest all this time and money and effort and manpower into creating something that we don't want anyone to know we had anything to do with, which is like, have you ever known an ad to be subtle? Have you ever known a brand <laughs> to be like, make our logo smaller, please? You know, when I think it's just, you know, this is in many ways still a new frontier. You know, it's, it is still difficult to know what does clear disclosure look like on an article page or on a video. We're always trying new ways to try to make things clearer. And sometimes we mess up, you know, just like there's bad movies and bad music and bad anything else. There's going to be bad, bad brand content out there without a doubt. But for the most do you, part, do you think that, do you I don't think, think people are evil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you think that, do you think that, um, that you know, you mentioned there's uh, there's bad content in other forms like movies, music, sure. even books, whatever. Um, do you think that it's it's because those are because I feel like every time there's a bad branded piece of content, it gets blown way out of proportion mm -hmm. with regard to let let compare to comparative to like a book or a movie. If there's a bad movie, all right, it's a bad movie. Everyone is like it's just it's just a bad movie. Right. Um, but if but if everyone but if once there's one bad piece of branded content, the whole thing just blows up online. 
Yeah, that, I'm not quite sure where that comes from. I guess that's kind of what I'm getting at, right? It's like, right. you know, like any field, sure, there's going to be stuff that bombs, like a, a bad movie at the box office, right? Or like a restaurant that opens and everyone gets food poisoning and it shuts down. That doesn't mean we <laughs> stop cooking. Like, you know, right. we, we just try again differently. And so, yeah, without a doubt, there's there's bad brand content. And like you said, it, it tends to, uh, uh, you know, it's the top of the headlines for a while. But, you know, most in most cases, I really feel like Every brand I've ever worked for, uh, you know, in creating this kind of content, they, of course, want people to know that they were involved. Like, that's the whole point of creating any sort of marketing materials. You want credit, right? You want to be associated with it. Every publisher I've worked for on co-branded pieces, right, where it's living on the publisher platform, they, of course, want to maintain their trust with their audience. They want it to be clearly disclosed. They don't want any confusion about what's editorial and what's sponsored. And every reader wants to know where the heck is this information coming from, like who created it. So everyone's kind of on the same page, but somehow there's still this pervasive belief that, you know, brand content is like some evil underground, you know, <laughs> operation trying to like trick people into reading right. our brand blogs, you know. Uh, how, but no, how would, how would you recommend that. we fix that? Like, what are, what are some things that can be done to kind of I mean, to, to make that not, not, not a, an issue that, that the people are like so concerned about? I mean... You should be concerned if it's if it's legit if someone legitimately does something wrong, but yeah, yeah, but like how how do we how do we kind of make it more? Um, I don't know what the word, mainstream, I guess maybe. Yeah, I mean, I think you know a big part of it, to be totally honest, is we're in an era of incredible information skepticism right now. I mean, it's not just brand content that people are skeptical about. You know. The, the term fake news gets thrown around. People are nervous about media bias. People, you know, about who owns the publications that are producing these things. There's a lot of just skepticism, fear, and confusion in general about media, right? There's there's sort of a media literacy problem, um, certainly in the U.S. and I think probably across the globe on some level. And so I think increased media literacy, helping people understand what is editorial, what is opinion versus fact, right? Helping people understand what are ads versus you know, what is what is more journalistic content, understanding the difference, you know, from a TV perspective, and this is somewhat of a departure, but the difference between commentary, like a talk show, and then news, like a, a reporter, you know, there, there is still confusion about where this stuff comes from, and how we as consumers should take it, you know, is this someone's opinion, or is this fact? I think for our part, those of us who are in this industry, who are creating this kind of stuff, the best thing we can do is make sure that everything we do is clearly labeled to the best of our abilities. So every publisher, you know, labels this stuff in different ways. Every brand has different instincts about what they feel is clear, what they feel is prominent. It's going to be really difficult for us as an industry to say this is exactly how it should be appear on every website on every publication you know finding that uniform way of labeling things is tough um but i think we just need to continue to be vigilant and make sure we are doing our best to be clear in whatever ways are available to us uh on our pages in our systems to to make things as transparent as possible um and and to you know to, to be in the dialogue with our audience about whether they agree do they also feel it's clear did they understand what that particular you know line of text meant did they see this label at the top that indicated it was sponsored? And if not, how can we continue to improve to make that better? Mm -hmm. So I want to shift gears for, you know, a little bit. I want to talk about why, why should a brand um, be consider investing in, in content marketing or, or, or branded content or, or a native ad on a website? Uh, what, what are the reasons, you know, what are the reasons for that? 
in most cases, you know, native advertising or, or brand content, however we want to talk about it, is not the best fit for every single campaign. And I think that's as important for me to acknowledge as it is for, for anyone in marketing. I think it can be one very strategic part of a larger plan. So if you're in a situation where A, you need to tell a story that you may not have the resources or the experience to tell, that's a good opportunity to partner with a publisher. If you're also in a situation where maybe you have a story or you have an idea, but you don't have the exact audience you wanna promote that content to, then that's also a good opportunity to partner with a publisher. And if there's some combination of those things where you feel like, I think there's a story here, I'm not sure we have what we need to, to kind of bring that to life or, or to bring it to the right people, you know, some combination of those two, then, then working with a publisher partner is a great opportunity, you know, to find someone, you know, someone who can kind of shepherd that idea, that story idea and turn it into a reality and then has that built-in audience to, to deliver that content to. Um, you know, I think if you have tons of storytelling resources in-house already, you've, you've already hired creators and editors and writers and producers, then maybe you don't need to work with a publisher on every piece. You know, if you're working on something that's really direct response, really bottom of the funnel, you're trying to, to sell tickets or, you know, create downloads or drive people into a store for a sale, then maybe a story isn't the best way to do that. They probably need a direct invitation, you know, whether that's an email or a pop-up ad or something else. So, you know, again, if it's a situation where you, you want to have a conversation, you want to tell a story and you need either help reaching the audience that will love that story most or help telling that story to begin with, then that's probably the right time to find a publisher partner who's going to help you make that happen. So in terms of in terms of in terms of um, you know looking for distribution, uh, you you highlighted some some points in terms of when you should uh, seek you know at, at, at a publishing partner, uh, and and when it also may be a good time to uh, to maybe you know not not do content marketing maybe to look at it alternatives alternative marketing. Mm -hmm. um, what what if what if what if a what if you're just a small company you're just getting started you don't have let's say you you may not even have a huge you know uh, or any uh, in, you know content on your site yet in terms of a blog or anything maybe sure. you never launched one should is at that point should you be starting with trying to partner with a, a publication that has an audience or can this also work from a kind of a ground up perspective? Absolutely. So all the things we're talking about, you know, I'm I'm talking about the very specific application of if you happen to be working with a publishing partner to try to reach that new audience. But a lot of the principles, the way we talk about storytelling, the way we talk about what are the characteristics of good storytelling can very much apply to your email newsletter, your daily Facebook live videos, your YouTube series, your blog, whatever kind of content you create in your own realm, on your own platform. So, and even if you're not a big brand, this applies for your personal brand. Like even we were joking before to how you present yourself during a job hunt or on a date, right? This is all, you can right. use these same principles in these other different areas. Um, I will say that, you know, if you are building something from scratch, right, you're starting a brand new YouTube series or a brand new blog on your website, you're just logging into a new social platform and trying to build an audience, then in many cases, 
what's more important than anything else is consistency. That I, that I think is the thing you need to focus on more so than who your partners are or how much traffic you're getting. Consistency is absolutely key. You know, the only reason people subscribe to a newspaper or a magazine is because they know it's going to show up every day or every week or every month. If it stops showing up, they would stop showing up too, right? So mm-hmm. if you're trying to build an audience, take that from the publishing world. Take that idea of we publish daily or we publish weekly or we publish monthly, whatever it is, and stick to that. Because if you continue to show up for your audience, then they will be trained to continue to show up for you. And it becomes much build, much easier to build an audience that way. Once you have some level of base, it totally makes sense to partner with other people who have a similar audience, whether those are other creators, other bloggers, other YouTubers like you, or publishers that happen to capture the ideal audience you want to capture, you know, to kind of work with them in some capacity, whether it's co-branded content or just buying ads to attract their audience, you know, bringing those people over to say like, hey, come hang out with me too, is a really smart way to build on top of that momentum that your own consistency and, and showing up uh, has started to build for you. But yeah, you can apply all this stuff to to building your own platform. You don't have to uh, build on rented land every time, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I totally agree with the consistency. Uh, no, I, I really think that that's 100% true. One of the reasons my, my site has been around for so long is because it's been consistently you know, updated. I'm always putting new content up. Uh, it's something I, I, I've worked really hard to do. As with this podcast, we, you know, we release it on Tuesdays and things like that. And if and if there isn't an episode one week, it, it's always, you know, uh, made aware. So people are aware that uh, that the episode is not coming this week, but it will be mm-hmm. back in whatever day. Right. Um, and, and I always feel like it's very important, especially as you're building your audience, you need to, you need to build that trust with them, right? So you, they need to know that you're going to be there when you say you're going to be there. Uh, yeah, because exactly. especially with like podcasts or just reading a website like or uh, watching a YouTube video if you don't create if you don't stick to the uh, the, the schedule that you've kind of set um, people cut out time of their in their day to either listen or watch or read whatever and if you're not meeting your end of the deal well then they're gonna fill that time with something else right exactly and I think it's so interesting. I think sometimes we forget this stuff when we're thinking about content or marketing or strategy, but even think to like your most basic interaction you have. If your corner pizza shop is open at random hours or they have posted hours and they're not open when they say they are, like how many times are you going to keep going back there for a slice? You're going to find somewhere more reliable, even if you don't like it as much, because at least you know when you go there, you're going to find what you're looking for. So, you know, we we see this in other parts of our life, right? Or if you go to the grocery store and sometimes they have milk and sometimes they don't, like if you need milk, you're not going to go there anymore because you never know what you're going to get, you know? So like same thing for your audience, if they know what to expect from you and when even if it's less frequently like I, I always tell a brand I would rather see you put out something awesome once a month or every other week than put out inconsistent stuff or stuff here and there every couple days you know find a cadence that works for you that you can commit to that you can do consistently and well and stick with that like people will appreciate that more than anything else a lot of right. our favorite magazines are monthly, right? There's not that pressure to put out daily. They may have a website, but you know your favorite magazine that comes once a month, 
people still love that. They still subscribe to that. They put out money to have that content delivered even just once a month, you know? So, so it's, it's okay to pick a, a lesser cadence. There's a lot of pressure to create constantly right now, but it's so much more important that you do something consistently and well than that you do it every single day or every single hour. hundred percent. And, and, and along with that, you know, just, just because you start, let's say monthly, doesn't mean you can't expand it and build up into a weekly or right. eventually maybe a daily thing if, if you're able to, to generate enough return on that. Um, right. You know, and you want, like you said, you want to make sure you do it well. One other thing I want to talk about in ter- with about this specifically, uh, in, you know, it's a little bit into the weeds, um, but how, how, how do you, how, do, how does one like a brand decide Let's say that, that let's say that uh, they 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 are fairly you know big brand or whatever. How do they decide what what publications to partner with? Like how how yeah. how does one you know should I go to the New York Times for this idea? Should I go to <laughs> you know where should I go? So from a, an extremely technical perspective, usually how this works is a brand or the agency on their behalf would send out what we call an RFP, a request for proposal, and mm-hmm. they would send that to a bunch of publishers who are going to basically respond to that RFP with their pitch. Based on what the RFP says is the budget, the timing, the goals, etc., here's what we as a publication can do for you. And then the brand would just kind of decide, you know, which pitch they like the best or which pitch is most of the way there and they can negotiate their way to liking it, you know. Um, so that's like from a from just a purely process perspective, that's how it happens most often. But I think to your point about how do you even decide, you know, who to send it to or who to invite to be a part of that process, um, I think the the real question comes down to the context. Where do we want to be? Who has the audience that we want to have? Because I think the, the big mistake is to think we need the biggest, the best influencer. You know, we need the biggest, the best audience. Um, there's a lot of parallels here to even regular influencer marketing. You know, if you were if, if you were trying to advertise your podcast, you know, the the instinct might be, well, I need to get the biggest possible audience, so I'm going to pay a Kardashian to tweet about it. But, you know, even though that's going to be a huge tweet for you, Jeff, like how how many of the people who are following a Kardashian are genuinely going to become your most dedicated subscribers? Pro- it's probably not the right audience for you. So, right. you know, what you're looking for is not necessarily who has the most eyeballs or the most ears or whatever it is, but who has the right ones. And so the instinct may be to go for the New York Times or Time Magazine or, you know, some of these big, big names. But the reality is a small blog or a local newspaper or a niche magazine magazine may be a much, much better fit because while the total number of eyes or ears may be smaller, the percentage of them that are the right ones is going to be so, so much higher. So you may end up reaching more of your ideal audience, even though the total reach is smaller. So I always ask people to reverse engineer. You know, you know your audience, and if you don't, talk to them. What do they read? What do they subscribe to? What do they listen to? You know, what do they have bookmarked? You know, what are... Use a social analytics tool to see what domains they share content from. You know, where are they? What do they? Who do they trust? That's where you need to be. Um, you know, you want to try to find the most relevant, the most contextually well matched place for your content to be showing up. Mm-hmm. I, I I I think that makes a lot of sense. I want to I want to talk about brainstorming a little bit because I feel like the brainstorming process in terms of content marketing is probably one of the most important. If uh, if not the most important, um, but I feel like it's it's often it's often just kind of forgotten about because it's like it's kind of like an it's like an afterthought when you're when you're putting this all together. It's like yeah. oh wait, we have to actually you know come up with some really good ideas here. 
<laughs> it's like, all right, we're talking about all this, but like, all right, what are we actually going to create, right? Yeah. Um, I know, I know, I know. You uh, at Storyfield put together a, a matrix, content matrix document. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, and tell us a little bit about like what uh, an effective and, and and good brainstorming process for uh, for this for this looks like. Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to running your actual brainstorm, there's a ton of research out there about how to operate a meeting, you know, how to lead a discussion. Um, I'm focused less so on that and more so on the sort of creative approach to coming up with content ideas. What's the mindset and the and the intent that you carry into that meeting, you know, more so than how many minutes you spend on any one thing. So the biggest challenge that I find when I'm working with brands, when we're consulting or I'm running a workshop is people don't feel like they can come up with content ideas. They feel like I'm running out of topics or I'm not a creative or, you know, we've, we've already done this. There's nothing new to be said. And there's this belief that, that content or ideas or, or good ideas are sort of this limited resource that comes only out of thin air or from some <laughs> mysterious muse, you know, that it just like occurs to you uh, magically. And, and if it doesn't in that particular meeting, then you are somehow a creative failure, um, which is really damaging. You know, if you feel like that's what you're up against, magic or like luck or something, then of course it's going to be a frustrating process. So uh, the whole thing that the content matrix comes from just helping people to understand that in most cases, a content idea, like broken down to its most basic parts, is just two things. It's a focus and a format. So the focus is what is this content about? What is the perspective, the angle, the theme, the topic, however you want to talk about it? What are we focused on here? And then the format is how are we bringing that to life? You know, is it written? Is it video? Is it audio? Is it some combination of other things? You know, a map, a quiz, whatever it may be. So if you know in your head that every content idea is just a focus and a format, you know that you understand focuses, right? You understand the concept of an interview or uh, an overview or a list or a ranking. And you know that you understand formats, you know what written content is and video is, then all you're asking your brain to do is not come up with some magical thing out of thin air, but come up with the right combination of A and B, of a focus and a format that's gonna best serve you in this instance. So the brainstorm matrix, it kind of plots out, and I just, I gave 10 basic examples, the 10 that we probably use most often. It plots out the 10 most common formats and some of the 10 most common focuses, and it offers you up basically 100 combos, 100 options for what your content might be. So it kind of just gives you a place to start to say you already know these 10 formats and you already know these 10 focuses. You you have this within you, right? So look at these different combinations. Give yourself the homework of whether it's picking a random square or picking random numbers 1 through 10. Uh, my favorite way to do it is with 10-sided die. Uh, so you roll two 10-sided mm -hmm. die and you give yourself that random prompt and say, okay, so – the focus I'm going to take is I'm going to take the approach of giving instructions, DIY, a process, right? Okay, so now I roll the die again, and how can I present that as an infographic? Does that work? Maybe. Right, right. How do I present that as a video? Does that work? Yeah, I could. How do I present that as audio? Does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So you kind of just giving yourself these prompts, and it becomes an exercise in helping you realize that you can actually come up with a ton of content ideas if your brain has the right the right guardrails and the right prompts. And so that's what the brainstorm matrix tries to do is offer you, you know, basically a hundred potential prompts for whatever particular content challenge you're approaching. And my hope is that people kind of see this as a go-to resource whenever they're feeling stuck or like this magical muse didn't show up to work today. 
Right. I, I can tell you I, I downloaded it and if you got if you if you're listening to this now and this sounds really relevant to you, go to storyfuel.co.co um, and and put in your email and download Melanie's uh, content matrix document. It will make your life so much easier. I, I downloaded <laughs> I started looking at it. I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I needed this a long time ago. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad to hear it. Yeah, this thing is so much fun for me and it came out of uh, trying desperately to, to explain what I do in my head when I'm coming up with brainstorm, like when I'm brainstorming a content idea. And I realized that in my head, I'm always just saying like, okay, one A, no, one B, no, one C. It's sort of this process of elimination. And I tried to make it into brain, uh, you know, into a matrix form. So it really excites me to hear that you downloaded it and it's helpful for you. That's the I best. Totally, and- I'm, I'm totally serious. It, it, it's <laughs> totally worth the download. And all it costs is an email address. That's it, and, um, I don't, and, I, and she and she won't spam guys, you. I don't I can even guarantee yeah. that. <laughs> I don't spam you. There's no follow up. It's just so that I can email you the download link so you can get the document. <laughs> nice. Um, so uh, while we're on the, the the topic of of creating and, and crafting this content or coming up with the ideas at least for it, one of the things I feel like with with uh, with content marketing sometimes is that it. it, it it feels very transactional, and I feel like it shouldn't be that way. I mean, yeah. the, the really good stuff doesn't, but then there are often pieces out there that just feel very transactional. How, yeah. how do we get away from that? I think that some content does need to be transactional. Uh, and I think if it feels icky, then it was probably the wrong choice for that particular piece of content. But, you know, there the reality is that most of our marketing activities are, they're falling into one of three categories. They're awareness, right? We're trying to reach new people or or reach people with a new message. Their engagement, we're trying to get those people to take some action to to watch our video or subscribe or download or whatever it might be. Or it's conversion, like the very bottom funnel stuff, the transactional stuff you're talking about. I want you to come to the store. I want you to buy this product. I want you to, to take some action beyond the content itself. You know, most content works best at the top part of that funnel where we're engaging people or, or making them aware of something. I think our favorite content tends to be in that zone. But we do eventually need to invite people to engage with us, most of us, in some sort of transactional way. The balance just needs to be correct. I think when we feel icky, when when something feels like it's not settling right is when there's way too much of that transactional content and we haven't earned the right to make that invitation. I think the the analogy I make most often here is it's kind of like dating, right? That transactional content, that's a proposal or or asking someone out, right? In order to get to that point, you've got to build some goodwill. You've got to listen. You've got to have conversations. You've got to do a couple different right. activities together so that you build to a point where when you ask someone out or you propose to them or you invite them back to your home, it's not coming out of nowhere. You've kind of earned that trust. You've built that relationship with someone. And so some of the transactional content is like when it comes way out of left field now you're that guy who just walked into a bar and is asking if anyone wants to go home with you and like no one no one's gonna go you know right and, and deep <laughs> down you feel really you feel really gross about doing it because right. because you haven't no. done the, 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 the prerequisites <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah so i mean i think you know some transactional content is good at some point like look the reality is we just ask people to download a resource that might feel transactional for people right like i'm not going to give you my email i don't know who you are yet but hopefully <laughs> hopefully the idea is up to this point these last 30 minutes or so we've we've given enough value that it doesn't feel transactional it feels genuine because it is for me anyway you know it, it's definitely genuine and that's that that needs to be the goal is that 
if we're creating transactional content, we're only asking questions or giving homework to people that we've earned that right to do by providing enough value up front. So don't be afraid of transactional content. Just make sure you're doing it at the right point after you've earned the right to ask that question or give that homework to someone. Fair enough. I think that's really, I think that's actually really, really good advice. Um, and it makes a lot of sense because in the, in, I mean, at the end of the day, what we want with our content marketing is we want to return on our investment, right? Sure. Yeah. And, um, the, and, and for, for many brands and business, the way to do that is to eventually lead to some kind of transaction of some yeah. kind. So yeah. And does I think, make sense. and I think, you know, maybe even just to come back to the, the example of the content matrix, like we just did here it has to, even the transaction has to be an exchange of value. You know, you don't just, uh, you don't court someone with a great blog post or, you know, a series of emails that are providing a ton of helpful information and then suddenly say, hey, buy my book. Hey, you know, buy our product. Hey, here's the coupon. You know, there has to be some sort of invitation, the idea that it's not just for you, right? Even if you're doing something transactional, focus on what does the reader, the listener, the downloader, the buyer, what are they getting out of it, right? Focus on them. What's the value you're providing to them, whether that's in the form of a solution or a resource or a discount, you know, you've got to give them something at the same time. And I think it is, it really, Really, when we see transactional content that makes us uncomfortable, it's often because it's all about the transaction and there's no emphasis on what do I as a consumer get out of being a part of this transaction. Mm -hmm. So speaking of, of, of transactions and also ROI, um, what, are, what are some of the metrics and goals that should be set or and or tracked um, yeah. when, when, when running a, a campaign? Uh, with content marketing uh, or doing a native ad or whatever? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think this is something I always try to have a conversation with folks up front before we create anything, before we even have our brainstorm is how will you feel like this has been successful? What does it take for you to know that this campaign has succeeded. And I, the reason I think that conversation is important is because sometimes the reality of our goals is very different from what it says on paper. And so, you know, this is the time where things, you know, for you with your podcast, you, I mean, in, in general, you may have a certain number of downloads you like to hit, but your hope is probably for something a little more, a little squishier, a little harder, harder to measure, like good conversation and connecting with people. And maybe it helps your business in some way. Right. But right. that, we can't have that conversation if we don't start it at some point. So I, I, truthfully, rather than tell people it's this metric or this particular thing you need to track, I think it's more important to actually just have a conversation about what success looks like for all people involved. Because when it comes to content, um, you know, it's it's very difficult to tie, being candid, it's very difficult to tie content marketing initiatives to a specific sales number. How many products did you sell or how many, how much revenue did you create? That is very challenging because it's often further up the funnel. So it is important to have an open conversation about are we hoping to increase traffic to our website with the end goal of having that traffic someday, you know, turn into more sales? Are we trying to shift our perception in the minds of our audience? And we're going to measure that in this way. 
once you're clear on what success looks like for you, you know, sort of at a, at a primary and then maybe secondary levels, then you ask, well, how do we measure that specific thing? So again, if you're looking to shift perception, then you might say, look, in order to, to track perception, we need to do a focus group or we need to have a survey of some kind. Okay, we're, we're trying to increase traffic to our website. Well, then let's make sure we have Google Analytics set up and we're going to run a monthly report on the same day of the month or every 30 days to see how the, the traffic has changed. So you, this first step is really to ask, like, what are we trying to achieve? And then the second step is how do we measure the growth toward that achievement? Um, if you want just like a list of really common ones, people do tend to look, especially for digital content at, you know, there's sort of the awareness metrics. So you have traffic, uh, you know, hits, views, whatever that might be, just indicating that we've hit eyeballs, impressions. Um, the engagement metrics generally indicate that the user has taken an action of some kind. So you'd see things like likes, comments, uh, shares, you know, how much time are they spending? Time often falls into an engagement category. How much time did they spend reading or viewing our video? And then you have the conversion metrics, which on social could be things like liking or subscribing or following, um, but goes all the way down to the really tactical, you know, made a purchase, added things to cart, downloaded a resource, bought a ticket, etc. Um, so, the, you know, those are some of the more common ones in those three categories are the awareness, the engagement, and then the, the conversion all the way down the bottom of the funnel. Right. And it's like, it's almost like, like you're saying you have the conversation before to get um, to get an understanding on both sides of, I feel like I'm almost repeating, but I, I, this is for my own benefit, really. <laughs> yeah. Um, to to, uh, to to understand what the not so rigid um, uh, metric that is that you're looking like what what will make you feel good by doing this campaign. Exactly, exactly. Because I think so many times when, at least for me, I've seen I've seen a lot of briefs, like a lot of content briefs of people wanting to create content programs, and many times there's a list of metrics that don't actually reflect what they care about at all. It reflects a checkbox or I had to list something here. People will mm -hmm. say this campaign is all about page views or this campaign is all about video views. And then when I ask them, like, how will you know that this campaign has been successful? Their response is not we hit a million page views or we got a thousand views. Their response is we want to be on the cover of Ad Age or we want to win a Can Lion Award or, you know, mm -hmm, I need mm -hmm. to get promoted. I want my boss to stop calling me a mean nickname. You know, there's always some sort of deeper <laughs> goal right. there, you know, nested somewhere in there. And um, that's that's kind of what you need to get at. Um, and maybe this sounds like content therapy in some way, but I think, you know, it, we all have these sort of aspirational goals uh, that that are sort of pushing our actual uh, our actual movements. And so, if we can understand for the client, like, yes, in theory, I want video views, but really, it's because we're losing market share, and so we really care about our perception. Or, you know, yes, I care about page views, but only because my boss said so. And the real goal is we need to make this person happy. You know, so sometimes there's sort of like a hidden agenda that you don't know you're being evaluated against. And so, I think getting to the bottom of that is really really key definitely all right i have the last question here before we uh we before we get to the lightning round let's do it um what so can you give us a couple of examples of in your opinion that are really good content marketing pieces that you've seen Absolutely. So my favorite examples are always the ones that kind of break the mold a little bit, that do something a little bit different. Um, one brand that I really like is a company called Blue Bottle Coffee. They actually created an entire course on Skillshare about how to brew the perfect cup of coffee. So, you know, 
not just an FAQ on their website about why your coffee might taste bad, but going so far as to say, look, we are experts in how to brew a great cup of coffee. Um, here's what we teach our baristas that you could know at home so that you can kind of become the best possible customer. And, you know, if they're the person who's teaching me this, then I'm probably going to be inclined to, to buy the equipment they recommend and the beans they recommend because they're the ones teaching me. So I think creating a course is a really smart idea and something not enough brands are doing, especially when it's often expertise and experts that you can, you know, capture right inside of your company. Um, you know, this was captured inside one of their cafes. So easy. Um, so that's a great example. Um, there's a marketing company called Marketo that actually created an adult coloring book for marketers, like with word finds and, you know, uh, those like intricate mandala kind of coloring pages and stuff, uh, all themed around marketing. So, you know, a, a great way to break through the noise in, in an industry that's full of thought leadership and top rankings and predictions for the new year. They said like, here, have something fun that has to do with work that might still teach you something. So mm -hmm. I think that's really cool and creative. Um, and I guess like my free bird, like the, the piece that I always talk about is um, a piece that I did at the New York Times when I was the editor of brand content there. Um, we created a piece for Netflix uh, for their Orange is the New Black show about women in prison. We did a, a long form investigative piece about what it's really like to be a woman in prison. We did a three part mini documentary that was part of that page where we talked to these women, current and former inmates to get their perspective on what their experience of incarceration was like. We made infographics using government data to show trends in female incarceration in the US. A really awesome piece that was just chock full of multimedia, of really relevant experts, of, of trustworthy data and reliable sources. And, and honestly, like some really heartbreaking personal stories that turned something that was very, um, you know, maybe light on the show, uh, but took that theme of the show and really expanded it out in a way that the New York Times readership was very interested in, you know, the social justice perspective, uh, the, the news trend perspective. So being able to, to tell that story, that was a piece that for us won a number of industry awards, which is always great. Um, but for us at that piece, that piece was in the top 2% of all content published on nytimes.com that year, which says to us that it was performing up there with some of the best editorial. And that means for us that we, we did meet that standard. We did create something that our readers loved and knew and, and understood and, and were willing to engage with at the same way they did editorially. And so for us, that was a big, big win. That's huge. I mean, I, I had seen those stats uh, about that piece because I'm familiar with that piece. Um, and I, I, I actually only saw the stats that it was in the top 2% recently. And when I was when I was doing some reading before we talked. Yeah. And I just think that that's so incredible in, in the sense that essentially what you what you created was uh, was actually just it was a real editorial piece. But it was it was it was, you know, essentially sponsored by Netflix for their new show. But it was yeah. still the same kind of content you could find. I mean, like that article may never have been written had it yeah. not been Netflix who, you know, who wanted to sponsor it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, not, certainly not in that way. I mean, I, mm -hmm. I don't like to, I don't want to build up too much and say we were the only people paying attention to the problem of incarceration. There are a ton of activists and a lot of really yes. dedicated people who are focused on that kind of work. But, but yes, I mean, this was, you know, coming back to our point earlier, this was an opportunity for me as a former journalist, as someone trained in investigative journalism, to create an in-depth piece of content, to really rely on government data, to talk to relevant experts, and to tell a story that, you know, would not have been told in that way with that level of resources and by 
by those people uh, on a platform like the New York Times, you know, and that that for me as a creator is a wonderful opportunity and why I push for that for so many other journalists who are trying to find a new home in this, you know, upheaval. Um, But it's also great because you know, we talked earlier about, you know, that spectrum of it's straight up branded to it's not branded enough and it doesn't do anything for a brand. This fell perfectly in that spectrum, I think, because while we didn't talk about characters on the show and we didn't talk about plot lines of the show, it became clear if you read this piece with the, n- the number of, of integrations and the fact that it was so clearly sponsored by Orange is the New Black, if you finish this piece and you were interested in it, the natural connection you make is, wow, I might be interested in this show after all. These themes are things that I care about. These stories are things that have touched my heart or, or made me curious. So maybe I am a viewer of this show and I didn't know. So that was kind of what we were after is to try to help people see like if you're interested in this you may actually be interested in this show too but we didn't have to tell them that we showed them and I think Mm -hmm. that is really the key that's the thing that I take from journalism that I apply most in marketing that I think makes the biggest difference is that idea that we should show the audience and not just tell them because it's that content where you're telling the audience that's the icky transactional stuff that we talked about before Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but when you can show them and they come to that conclusion on their own it is so much more powerful Wise words. I, I, I think that I think you hit the nail on the head there at the end, especially, you know, kind of bringing it all together like that. Um, well, the good news, Melanie, is that you made it through uh, the, the podcast portion. <laughs> <laughs> and, now, and now it's actually time for the lightning round, which is supported by Wix. You can create a professional website today. That's at Wix.com, W-I-X.com. So whenever you're ready, you let me know and we'll get started. And speaking of... Uh, of native ads, right? <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, here we go. Bedroom, office, o- um, office desk, or car? Which one do you clean first? Ooh, my bedroom has got to be clean or I can't sleep. Okay. What's the most recent recent show you've binge binge watched? The Office. <laughs> have 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 you watched it before? The f- no. This, or was this your first time? This is my first time, and I'm on the last season right now. I'm about to be heartbroken when I'm done. Oh my! I, I I love The Office, and I've seen I've watched it like three or four times, three or four times in full, I think, at this point, and it's just such an amazing show. I I, I, <laughs> I hated it the first time I saw it, but then I like the more I watched it, the more I got into it. Um, it just it's great. Uh, speaking, uh, since you're a journalist, I thought this one would be a good fit for you. What word do you always misspell? Uh, business, which is really embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) For me, it's entrepreneur. I always, I always get the, Mm. the, I think I've gotten it, but I'm not sure. (laughs) Every time it's a little different. It's, it's not so much misspelling as much as my fingers don't cooperate. And I always type Uh, of it. (laughs) Well, we, we, we can, we can, we can, we can go with that. Nah, as you're misspelling. (laughs) Uh, what is your preferred social network for business, uh, for personal use, not business? Personal is Instagram. It's definitely a lot of people's favorites, I feel like, right now. Uh, our last question. Would you ever fly to the moon or another planet? Hmm. I've never thought about that. I don't know. I kind of <laughs> like it down here. I think I'd like to let someone else take that risk and just learn all about it. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. It's, that, it's your lightning round. <laughs> your answers uh, are your answers. Uh, well, uh, look, it's been a lot of fun having you on. I think this was a really, really great uh, kind of deep dive into content marketing, uh, branded content, you know, 
even talked about from turning from a journalist into a content marketer. And I think this has just been really valuable and I appreciate you being on uh, this episode. Yeah, thanks so much for letting me share my story. Yeah, and if anyone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, I am Melanie Diesel. I am very SEO optimized. So if you find Melanie, D-E-Z-I-E-L, you will find me wherever I am. But you can find more about me and the work that I do with StoryFuel at storyfuel.co. Awesome. Well, Melanie, thanks again. I appreciate you being on. I look forward to keeping in touch. Yeah, same here. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash besttechie and or by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.